Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Welcome to everyone listening. We are grateful to be with you again tonight for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. We are coming to you live this Sunday from Lower Manhattan with Heritage Baptist Church and our host, Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage. And tonight we continue our conversation on the book of Genesis and we're going to discuss day one of creation. If you would like to join our conversation tonight, give us a call. Our studio phone number is 929 Pastor Matt, you're gearing up to start another semester of the Heritage Discipleship Institute. We start tomorrow night, right? Yes, we do, and we're excited. So we're very excited to get going and start. And we're going to have two classes, one on the theology of the church and salvation, and one uh, a survey of the first five books of the Bible, books of the law. So we're going to also be talking about Genesis yeah. as well. So it's it's always a great class, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And if any listeners want to, they could watch us on Zoom. The information is on our website, mm-hmm. as well as they could download the notes. The notes are actually yeah. already online. Oh, are they? Okay. Yep. And so we'll be ready to go tomorrow at 7 o'clock. They could just go to our website at hbcnyc.org and check us out on Zoom, or they could come in person. Yeah. 633 3rd Avenue, Suite 13E. That's but, right. But let us know if you're coming, please. Either call tonight or email us. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I got the book already. Okay. And we're, we're so happy tonight to have with us Reggie Hart. And Brother Reg, good to have you back with us on the Heritage of Faith Conversations program. Great to be back, Pastor. All right. And we're going to be talking about the first day of creation. Now, we've, we've kind of given an overview now. We've been talking about verse 1 and hitting around verse 1 and other things for a few weeks. But now we're going to start moving forward. Today we're going to do day 1. Next week, day 2. And each Sunday now we're going to do a different day of creation and move from chapter 1. We are going to go through Genesis chapter 11. Yeah. So we're now going to start making progress moving forward. So tonight we're going to go back, read the first five verses, which is the first day of creation. And so, Brother Reggie, why don't you start us off by reading verse 1, and then I'll pick it up at verse 2. Verse 1 reads, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the waters and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw the light that it was good and god divided the light from the darkness and god called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day and let's pray Dear Lord, we just thank you, God, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Genesis, Lord, and we just uh, ask for your blessing, Lord, as we discuss these first five verses in the day one of creation, Lord. Let us speak your word clearly and bless each listener, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, do you know how odd and how strange we must sound to some people in this year of 2022, Mm. that we are literal... Six-day young earth creationists. 
evolutionists would laugh at us for taking such a position. But don't think us strange, dear friends. We believe the Bible. And I believe with even greater confidence and boldness than ever that being a young earth, six-day creationist is a biblical position. Amen, Pastor. Yeah. 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 So let's not be ashamed to stand on the Bible, right? Reggie, amen, amen. You, you believe that also, right? Yes, sir. Amen. So we're going to continue our conversation about creation day one. But first, let's talk about this because a lot of people have this question. Somebody asked, I think, about this question yeah. even recently. is, And the question is, how old is the earth? Now, evolutionists, of course, and geologists, uh, evolutionary geologists, uniformitarians, they assume that the Earth is millions, even billions of years old. So what do we say about that? Yeah, well, one of our listeners named Freddie actually called in and was asking about this, the age of the Earth from creation to Christ. And it's a big question. It's huge. The answer one arrives at has implications for a person's view of science, scripture, and even their view of God. And as I personally think about the age of the earth, my mind immediately goes to the Bible's genealogies, those seemingly mm -hmm. endless lists of so-and-so begat so-and-so. They've actually served a very important purpose of helping biblical scholars to calculate the approximate years from creation of Christ. Now, remember, there's no one place in the Bible or in history to get all the information needed to add up the age of the earth. So scholars have had to consider many pieces of data, including the length of the reign of each of Israel's kings, historical dates such as the death of King Herod, and even leap years, which weren't accounted for on the calendar until after the time of Christ. But the very first piece of the puzzle in dating the earth is the historical genealogies found in Genesis chapters 5 through 11. And the most respected compilations of all this information point to a creation date of about 4004 BC, which, if correct, makes the earth about 6,000 years old. That is the approximate date that many young earth creationists point to, and I myself am pretty convinced that that is about right. Yeah, and incredibly, even Jewish people in their dating of the, the beginning of creation say uh -huh. creation was 5,783 years ago. Yeah. Maimonides, there's even a hospital named, still named after him in Brooklyn. Mm. They haven't taken his name off because he's a young earther. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, so that, that's what he said. That's the Jewish calendar. Yeah. So I would say, too, for our listeners, just an easy way to kind of like summarize it is that from Adam to Abraham mm -hmm. was about 2,000 years. Yeah. From Abraham to Jesus yep. was a, another 2,000 years, and mm -hmm. from Jesus to here, another 2,000 years. So mm -hmm. we're talking about a 6,000-year-old earth, and that's consistent with what we actually see on earth. Mm -hmm. One of the oldest trees in the world, the tree is called Methuselah, Methuselah. <laughs> yeah. and it's 4,300 years old. So it's not so it it wasn't even around when the earth was crea you know created. Right, right. Uh, uh, the oldest coral reef is less than 4200 years old. That's actually the oldest living thing is coral reef. And they found one that's dated 4265 years old off the coast of Hawaii. And even when you study human history mm -hmm. and you go back, how far do you go back? You don't go back billions of years no. studying human history. No. You go back to the, you know, the Egyptians and and that's not even at the beginning, you yeah. know. So so even human history, the oldest historical records of man are less than 6000 years old. Yeah. And so it, it's really consistent 
it's just not consistent with the evolutionary need for there to be millions and billions of years for us to have evolved. Right. <laughs> and it's not consistent with the little children's uh, books on dinosaurs that say millions and millions of years ago, <laughs> you know. So, okay. Well, a lot of people say, though, that Earth is old, very old. And right. one of the reasons they always, they always throw back at us right. is, well, what about carbon-14 dating? Doesn't that prove that the earth is very old because people will scoff at us and laugh at us for saying that the earth is young. So we have our carbon-14 dating expert with us. Joseph, Dr. Joe Falco is here. <laughs> Joe, and I know you've looked at this matter of carbon-14 dating and you wanted, to, you wanted to share the last time you were on the radio. We said, just hold off, Joe. So now's the time. You're on, brother. Okay. Well, first thing I want to say that you, carbon dating is only used for dating things that used to be alive. So you cannot date carbon date rocks. Okay. okay. And um, the way this is done is every, the molecules are held together by something. And that something, when we're talking about living things, is called carbon. So all life is carbon-based. Now, non-inert you know, objects have things that, that bind molecules together, but it's not carbon. So um, when an organism dies, uh, the carbon begins to deteriorate at a known rate. Okay? Um, the problem is that after about 6,000 years, most of the carbon is completely uh, decayed. There's very, very little carbon left. Um, so anything past 6,000 years, um, the, the testing becomes very inaccurate. Secondly, um, it does continue to decay, but it continues to decay at a very, very slow rate, and it eventually ends at about 100,000 years. So um, they, they, they could accurately date um, things that had passed away um, because they believe that there is a, a set, there's a formula and a set rate for decay. And that's true up until a certain point. Um, the problem is that in the formula, um, there is uh, a ratio of carbon-12 and carbon-14. Carbon-12 is in the air and carbon-14 is in a living organism. Now, if everything happened the way the evolutionists say it happened, then the formula is correct, and the carbon dating is correct. The problem is, what happens What, what happens to the formula if 99% of all living things died? The ratio between the carbon-12 and carbon-14 would be totally out of whack. And, the close, and that happened, according to the Bible, with the flood. So the closer you get to the flood, the more inaccurate the carbon dating becomes. Mm. So that's the second problem with carbon dating. The first problem is that anything after 6,000 becomes inaccurate because of the, there's such little carbon left. Second problem is the assumption. Remember we talked about last, when we were on, on our show, we talked about assumptions. Everybody has assumptions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the evolutionist assumption is that there was no flood. Yeah. If you're going to go with that assumption, that's going to change what your, your conclusion is going to be. Okay? Mm -hmm. So um, the third problem with carbon dating is um, coal, for example. Coal um, supposedly is uh, things that have died that have been compressed over millions of years. 
diamonds are things that have died or coal that has been compressed over billions of years. Well, guess what? They've done carbon dating on coal and, and diamonds. And remember, remember before, previously I said that after 100,000 years, carbon is completely depleted, right? Mm -hmm. Coal is millions of years old. Diamonds is billions of years old. They've done carbon dating on both. But I thought you said that you can only do carbon dating on living things, not on, rocks. On living things that have, that have passed away. So coal is living things that have passed away. Okay. Coal is 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 um uh, plants and 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 bones, everything that have been compressed for okay. millions of years. So there isn't supposed to be any carbon in it if it's if it's millions of years. Yeah. But they they found traces of carbon fourteen, and they found traces of carbon fourteen in diamonds, hmm. which is coal compressed for billions of years. Hmm. So. If, if the Earth is billions of years old, yeah. how is it? And, and we know that carbon-14 um, completely decays after 100,000 years. How is it that we're detecting carbon-14? So those are, the, those are the main problems with carbon-14 dating. That's what I wanted to say in my last, uh, when I was there last time, but we ran out of time. Yeah. So there's a doctor that I've read about. His name is Dr. Robert Whitelaw. And this is, that's, a, you know, honestly, Joe, I get kind of lost in this whole carbon-14 discussion, but this makes sense to me, because this I can, it's easier for me to grasp. So this doctor worked through 15,000 different objects mm -hmm. with carbon, that were dated by with carbon-14 dates. Yeah. And he established by those 15,000 different objects that he studied that carbon-14 dating is highly inaccurate. Mm. And some of the examples of the things that he tested was freshly killed seals mm. were dated to be 1,300 years old, oh, wow. even though they were freshly killed. <laughs> yeah. um, mortar from uh, Castle in England, built 785 years ago, was dated at 7,300 years ago, and so forth. So things that we know weren't that old were yeah. dated totally inaccurate. So I think that's just another thing for us to understand mm -hmm. is that it has been tested by doctors and by experts and it has been found to be highly inaccurate mm -hmm. right yeah yeah I, I agree with that pastor i remember in christian school and middle school i think there was some example where a lobster a live lobster was carbon 14 dated and it was said to be something like 250 years old so I also get sort of lost in the minutia of it. And when it's explained to me, like Brother yeah. Joe just explained it, I understand uh, yeah, it and yeah. I believe it. Yeah, thank but, you, Joe. But that example, even to me, just the idea that something alive was dated to be 250 years dead, um, that to me just says, well, if we can't even get that right, something that's living, we surely can't get something that's 6,000 years old, right? Yeah, and, and there's other examples. Like I have the Kent Hovind sem Seminar Notebook for Creation. And, and he goes into this as well, and he, t he talks about a living mollusk sh shell and shells from living snails. Living snail is carbon dated 27,000 years old. So it's just, it's, it's just not accurate. But another thing to me on the age of the earth that I read that I, find, that I found interesting is some scientists assume that the moon, if... The moon is three three and a half billion years old, and uh -huh. that's what you know evolutionary geologists often think. Okay. That it would have a really thick layer of dust, mm -hmm. because they say that that the that the moon being that old, um, that 
the moon being exposed to direct sunlight and the different x-rays, it would expose the rock and it would reduce the rock to dust at a certain rate. And therefore, that there should be sufficient amount of dust several miles deep on the moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, they, they honestly thought he might just go into a powdery you know, mile of dust. They didn't really know mm-hmm. what, was gonna, what, what kind of surface was the moon. Yeah. And they, they found out that there was... Amount the amount of dust on the Earth that would show the Earth to be around, or you know the that moon. creation, you know, the, the moon. moon to be yeah. about six thousand years old. Yeah, isn't that incredible? <laughs> yeah. So you know, it it always lines up with the truth. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for calling us, Joe. We appreciate the clarity there. No problem. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate that. You got it off his thank chest. You. Got got it off your chest. You feel better? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was really good, Joe. Thank you so much, brother. God bless. Thank you. Okay, so. So let's let's talk about this first day of creation, and we're going to just really break it down into three things. Verse 1, we're going to just do a quick review, if you will, on verse 1, God's powerful creation. Verse 2, God's personal interaction over the earth. And then verses 3 through 5, which we really have not discussed, his preliminary communication on uh, uh, to his creation and creating light and so forth. So first one speaks of his powerful creation. So Reggie, let's let's bring you into this conversation a little bit, brother. And we've been discussing verse one uh, for a few weeks. Uh, and how would you summarize Genesis chapter one, verse one, for our listeners? Uh, the Bible is clear. First of all, it said God created Earth. That he it did not evolved mm. okay. his creating. And second of all, just him, his act of creation showing that he had an intent. God didn't stumble in and, and a bunch of Lego blocks come together. So he had a, an intelligence intense on creating uh, the earth. And him just like me or you, if we was to get into thing, we would uh, like go on, we'd bring light into the situation. If I walk yeah. in the room, we would Bring light. We we'll cut mm-hmm. the light on. Right. Uh, my brother asked me one time to clean up his garage. The first thing I walked in, he hit a switch on my left because I can see certain things. So I brought light. Mm. So okay. th- just showed me the intelligence of God. He wanted to interact with things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and to me, the the Bible begins so incredibly. It assumes the truth of God. God is not attempting to prove who He is. Mm. He yeah. is just revealing who he is, the, this awesome, all-powerful creator. So the Bible makes no attempt to Amen. prove Amen. the existence of God. And if I could just, again, let me just try to break this down, easy for our listeners as well. So in the beginning, that's time. God, that's power or force. Created, that's action. He created the heaven, that's space. And the earth. That's mass. And all reality fits into those five categories. There's time, there's power or force, there's action, there's space, there's matter. And it begins with God. Another thing that's very powerful to me about this verse is God is a plural noun, Mm -hmm. Elohim. Yeah. So in the first verse of the Bible, we yeah. have the triunity of God, mm-hmm. not dogmatically taught, right. mm-hmm. but intimated. That's important to say and 
and he, I know I've said that, but to repeat, God, and then created is a singular verb. <laughs> so that emphasizes the unity of God, mm-hmm. the oneness of God. Mm-hmm. So a plural noun, a singular verb. And then, of course, later on we read, he says, let us mm-hmm. make man. And that's name. not yeah. God speaking to the angels. That's God, the triune God, speaking to himself. So, let's go on. God's personal interaction over the earth. That's verse 2. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I know, Michael, we looked at this verse last week, and we went over the gap theory as well. And by the way, if there are any listeners tonight, and we're going to talk about light. God spoke, and there was light. Maybe you don't feel like you're walking in the light tonight. Maybe you even feel like you're in the darkness of distress. The pressure of life is discouraging you, and you feel like you're just in a dark place. We have some beautiful call screeners here this evening who would love to pray with you and talk with you. So give us a call right now at 929-333-3739, the sweetest phone number ever devised. (laughs) It just has a ring to it. It's the sweetest number. And you're going to enjoy calling that number, 929-333-3739. There's a lot of threes there because we're talking about the triunity of God. 929-333-3739. But in all seriousness, dear friends, if you need salvation, if you need prayer, if you're facing a struggle, if you're facing a trial this week, if you're experiencing, if you're undergoing temptation right now, if you're feeling alone, give us a call right now. We have people that will love you and pray with you and share God's word and comfort and peace with you right now at 929-333-3739. So Micah, how would you summarize verse 2, God's personal interaction over the earth? Yeah, so last week we talked at length about how in God's first act of creation, there was a vast, empty space with just one thing in it, an unformed, uninhabited, unlit, and unenergized planet Earth. We talked about how this sphere of clay totally enveloped in a thin layer of water originally hung in complete darkness, waiting to be formed by its creator. And just before he did form the earth, God's spirit moved or fluttered upon the face of the waters Hmm. as the only source of energy in the entire universe. His presence over his creation was felt from the very first moments, showing us how he's not some distant deity, but he's a personal and powerful God. Yeah, and... So in verse 1, we see nuclear energy, because that's the energy required to hold matter together. In verse 2, we see the gravitational energy, and and even as we talked about moving on the water, and now the water begins to move. So here we have gravitational forces, and the Holy Spirit is the one who interacts with that. And now we're going to go into the electromagnetic forces of light. Mm -hmm. So Henry Morris... You know my favorite. Yeah. By the way, the church gave me a Henry Morris study Bible today. Because <laughs> I always, I, I guess I referred to him a lot. But Henry Morris speaks about how the nuclear forces maintaining the integrity of matter were activated by the Father. The gravitational forces activated, activated by the, by, were activated by the Holy Spirit. And the electromagnetic forces were activated by His Word, which is seen to be light in who is the sun. So it's not I'm not 
completely compartmentalizing right. that the Father did this and the Spirit did right. that and the Son did that because right. they all work together in creation. But mm-hmm. what I am saying is we see the Father, Son, and Spirit mm-hmm. in the first five verses of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Son being the light of the world, the Spirit energizing, and the, the Father God maintaining the integrity of matter, activating everything, creating the heavens and the earth. We see the Trinity. Yep. Amen. It's amazing. So, his preliminary, his uh, personal interaction, and that's uh, verse 2, as we see the earth was without form and void, so it was unformed as to shape, it was without, it was uh, with. It was void, it was uninhabited as to life, it was dark, it was unlit, they didn't turn the light on yet, (laughs) Reg, as you said, and it was unenergized, but then the Spirit of God moved, and there was a personal interaction, and light and energy began to move upon the face of the waters. The creation was set into motion. So now we see the preliminary communication, the first communication of the Bible where God said, it says, and God said, God speaks, and he creates the light, and it was. So, Reggie, here's the first mention in the Bible of God speaking. And when I, when, when I think of God speaking, you know, I just think of the word of God, the power of his word. The first time we see the word of God at work here, you know, God speaking, and God said, there's light. <laughs> you know, so that that's incredible. But, you know, just in general, let's talk about the Bible, the Word of God. How important is the Word of God to you and to all of us? Well, I think um, I'll just be on the same page with everybody who's born again, who's subject to Jesus Christ, that the Word of God is essential mm-hmm. yeah. for our understanding, for our growth, for our interaction with one another, for our carrying out His will for our individual life. And I like it particular in the book of Psalms, verse 119, I mean, chapter 119, yeah. verse uh, 130, 130. Say, at the entrance of thy word, giveth light. Yeah. So when Jesus, when his word came forth, it's true to the scriptures, light appears. Yeah. And I think it's in John chapter St. John chapter 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on talking about all things was made by him, and, and that uh, he said, And the Word was light, and that life was the light of men. So he always associated his Word as light. As like, and light sometimes is given as being understand or to be able to move forth. You need light to do anything. And I, uh, whether you join the church, you need light about this church, have the same belief, or you in marriage, uh, how should I find a spouse or locate a spouse? Light is just essential for every aspect of yeah. your life, spiritually or just in the mundane. Yeah, and the, the practical thing here for our lives, it's in Paul takes this where God speaks light into a dark world, and he says, in, and we could talk about this more later because. I think it should be repeated, but it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person or the face of Jesus Christ. So that's why we need the Word of God. Every time we read the Word of God, 
It's like light. The light of his word is shining into the darkness of our own hearts to give us light. We need that light. As you said, the entrance of God's word gives light. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. How incredible that the first time in this chapter, and it says a number of times, and God said, and God said, and God said, that's a repeating phrase throughout this, but the first result of God speaking is let there be light. And light is, we're going to talk about, a very important subject in the Bible. So, Micah, let's talk about light for a minute. Okay. Because... Light's a big subject. Yeah. <laughs> here we're in the light. Imagine if we were sitting in here in dark. I mean, we just can't imagine, right? Light. Light is everywhere. We need light. Without light, there's no life. So how is this theme of light and darkness important here? And then kind of set the stage, a foundation for the rest of Scripture. Yeah, well, the topic of light, Pastor, as you said in the Bible, both physical light and spiritual light begins here in the third verse of Genesis with let there be light, and it continues straight through the Old and New Testaments. From the light which shone from Moses' face after he received Mm. the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, to the light of God's glory which came down and filled Solomon's temple, to the light of Jesus at his transfiguration, light is woven throughout the scriptures. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible which contrasts light and darkness, both physical and spiritual, is when Paul meets his Savior face-to-face on the road to Damascus and then becomes temporarily blind. Paul describes it to King Agrippa this way in Acts 26, verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the light, uh, excuse me, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me. Later in verse 18, Paul describes that his commission from Jesus was to go to the people, quote, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And that's exactly what Paul did. He spent the rest of his life turning people from darkness to light. And the verse that you just read in Corinthians, he's even tying the reality of Genesis 1-3 to the salvation that he himself experienced. I'll read it again, Second Corinthians 4-6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe people are in a dark place tonight. Maybe they're in a dark place in their marriage, or yeah. they're in a dark place on their job. Maybe mm-hmm. they feel persecuted by their family members, or maybe they're just in a, in a dark spiritual place and coming under mm-hmm. Satan's deceptions and temptations. And so here, here's the encouraging word tonight, is that God can speak to the darkness mm-hmm. exactly. and give light mm-hmm. to to us as well. I mean, if he could shine his light on a on a on a universe that was in total darkness, he could shine his light of love on our situation. And Paul said it this way in Ephesians. He says, "Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness." So maybe, dear friend, you've been dabbling in the dark, you know, living in the dark and having fellowship with the dark. He says, break off that fellowship. And then in verse 14, he says, awake thou that sleepest, stop sleeping, wake up and turn to the light. He says, arise from the dead and Christ shall give the light. (laughs) Another point I like about this 
uh, we make reference to the law first mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, and that verse is so important. There are a lot of cult-like groups. They always try to take people off and reveal them to some secret knowledge or something that's hid. But the nature of God's light is, he said, let there be. Mm. Meaning it's like it's want to come to yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. people who get saved, they don't have to ask to get saved. Somebody come to them with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ came to us with the gospel. He mm-hmm. come from heaven. Yeah. That light always trying to go forth. Yeah. To, uh, so you don't have to go yeah. off to some secret group and let us reveal you to secret. No, God loves you. Mm-hmm. And he's, he has people to go out to us to looking for souls to be saved. Come out of the darkness come out and of come to the light. And give us a call if we could help you with that. Mm-hmm. At 929-333-3739. We want to encourage you tonight to come to Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Yeah, Pastor, and I was, um, as I was thinking about God, you know, saying, let there be light, you know, it's not passive. It is totally active, as Brother Reggie is saying, you know, God is active in our lives, bringing that light into our lives. And I was listening to a Hebrew scholar named Danny Ben Gigi, Dr. Danny Ben Gigi, talk about Genesis 1-3 a few years ago, and I'll never forget it. He said that this verse reads as a more forceful command in the original language. In English, we have four words, let there be light, and it's a wonderful, correct translation, but there are just two words in the Hebrew. Literally translated, it says, Mm. light be. Yeah. And just imagine God throwing forth his arm and pointer finger extended, commanding the light to be, to pierce through the darkness. As I think about it this way, a verse we often hear at Christmas comes to my mind, Isaiah 9-2. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Yeah, thank you, Micah. On them hath the light shined. God's light will shine Amen. on us through the week ahead. And dear friend, on you in your life, maybe you feel again that you're discouraged in a dark place, but just look to the Lord and Beg him and plead with him and say, oh, God, cause your light to shine. You know, because there is darkness in this world. Mm -hmm. And I remember after 9-11, one of the key verses, passages that God gave to me. He He gave to me a number, but one of the key passages was Isaiah 45. And verse number 7 in Isaiah 45, where it's where it says, I form the light. God is speaking. I form the light and create darkness. Hmm. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, that's hard for us to understand, but the reality is, is life is a mixture of darkness and light and peace and evil. It's in the world. And we saw it on 9-11. You know, we saw such darkness, but in the midst of that darkness, we saw light as well. Mm -hmm. And... Then I thought of the cross, and all those elements were there when Jesus died on the cross. The light of the world yeah. in, darkness, in darkness, the evil around him, and yet he, was, he is the Prince of Peace. So uh, the, the cross speaks to me of, of those four elements. And I love verse 8, and it says, Drop down, ye heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. And so it's almost as if God takes those different elements and brings them into the world. And through it all, his righteousness is poured down on it and salvation comes out of it. 
and it's through Jesus Christ. So, dear friend, you might be going through darkness, and there might be evil happening to you and around you, but remember that God is peace, and he's, He is light, and He can rain righteousness, His righteousness and His love and His power upon you, and salvation can come out of it, and He will bring you through those dark times. Amen. And if you want to yeah. give us a call, our number is 929-333-3739. Again, it's 929-333-3739. Amen. And why don't we do this? Let's let's go to a song, and uh, hopefully, <laughs> I shouldn't say anything, just try to go to it and see what happens. But uh, for those listening, get to us right now at 929-333-3739. And this is a song about redeemed. And if you're not saved, remember that God is a God of light and love, and He wants to save you and redeem you and make you His own. By the blood of the Lamb, and I hope that that is your song tonight as well, dear friends, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So we've been talking a lot these days, you know, just we're going back to Genesis, going back to the beginning, and 
Why is it that people hold to Darwinian evolution? And why do they often scoff at the at those who don't go along with them in their theory of evolution, mm-hmm. Micah? Yeah, well, the idea of a young earth certainly is scoffed at today, Pastor, as you said, and the Bible predicted that it would be. You know, the Apostle Peter in Second Peter chapter 3 prophesied that man will believe that the earth that we see is the earth that always has been. Peter said that man will explain away the worldwide flood, as Joe Falco mentioned, and the miraculous power of our creator. And instead, man is going to believe that the universe must be old because to them it looks old. But one key here is that our creator designed a mature universe. In other words, the Lord didn't just plant seeds on the earth. He created fully grown trees. He didn't form a newborn baby from the dust of the earth. He created Adam, a completely mature man. And, Pastor, a couple weeks ago, we had our brother Emmanuel on the radio with us. And as we were talking off the air, he pointed out how in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, he created wine that was fully mature. It didn't have to age or go through a fermentation process. At the instant of his creation, it was perfectly aged wine to the point where the ruler of the feast tasted it. And then mistakenly, he told the bridegroom that unlike other bridegrooms, he had saved the good wine until then. So to me, this is a really insightful picture of Jesus, our creator, the bridegroom, because the earth that he created was entirely mature. And God describes creation as good. Amen. So just like the trees. Yeah. Just like Adam, and just like the wine, Jesus created the earth and the universe fully mature. And aged. That's exactly right. You know, and it says in Second Peter and chapter 3, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers mm-hmm. walking after their own lusts. And so, why is it that people scoff? Because they have, they actually have underlying lusts yeah. that they want to fulfill. And Julian Huxley, one of the famous evolutionists of a previous generation, but a recent previous generation, he says the reason we accept Darwinianism, even without proof, this is an evolutionist speaking, we accept it without proof is because we don't want God to interfere with our sexual practices. So he has, he has lust, and so they mock and scoff. Richard Dawkins, one of the world-famous evolutionists, author of a book called The Blind Watchmaker, uh-huh. a famous book, yeah. he said this. He says, it is safe to say that if someone does not believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. Or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. Now, so so basically, evolutionists, they, they, they in their arsenal, they use intellectual shame. But underlying their shaming you is their own lusts of, the, of their lack of willingness to submit to our God. And so, thank God, though, that there are those who are willing to submit to the Lord. And his way is best. His will is best. Yeah. And and so, dear friend, don't be afraid to submit to God and to his way and to his word. So we're talking about the first day of creation. God's powerful creation, God created. God's personal interaction, the Spirit of God moved on the face of the uh, waters. And then his preliminary communication, the first communication of God, he speaks. And God said, let there be 
light. Now, I was talking to a guy one time. I was out on visitation, Mm -hmm. and I hadn't studied much about creation. And he really bamboozled me. He did. And he, I was like, ah, that's a good question. That's a good point, you know. Yeah. And now, of course, I've thought about it more. But what he said to me is, he says, oh, there's no way that God could have that created us, as it says in Genesis, because how could God have created light before he created the sun? Of course, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars also on day four. Yeah. But here, he creates light. So, Reggie, how did God create light before creating the sun and the stars. And why do you think he may have done it this way? At this time, God was by himself mm. in the triune trinity. Mm-hmm. He knew what light was, and he had his own. But when it comes to man, man was about to come come up, man right. and animals. Yeah. So he needed something for us to measure it, or like a ruler, or to rule. Uh-huh. So he made, the Bible says he made the sun to rule, which means to measure. Okay. That's all it was. And also, but we need a different light. So he made it to give, also, not only rule, to give light on the earth. Because man was, what well, animals going to come the next following day, then right. man. So those heavenly bodies was there for us to measure or set lines of demarcation across the sky so we can have identity to make agendas and timelines for ourselves. Yeah. So that's why they was there. Yeah, and also some people who believe that Genesis 1 is simply a poetic description of creation versus a literal record of how it happened point to this as one of the reasons. They say that since God is a God of order, he wouldn't have created anything that needs the light of the sun before he created the sun. So in other words, he wouldn't have created vegetation on day three before creating the sun on day four. But the simple answer to that argument is that the plants need light, and there was light since day one. So the plants, they had light on day three directly from God, and once God created the sun on day four, that's where the plants got their light from then on. So in a way, God is telling us that he doesn't need the sun to give us light. It is just his tool for the time being for all those things that Brother Reggie just mentioned. In fact, we see this in the very last chapter of the Bible. John's final remark about heaven in Revelation 22, verse 5 says, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth Mm. them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. It's amazing to note that neither the light at the beginning nor the light at the end will require the sun as its light bearer because the true light bearer is the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, so if, if anybody has a problem with God creating light before there's a sun for just four days, yeah. just say, in eternity, there's going to be light for all eternity yeah, with <laughs> without, no, with no sun. without a sun. Yeah. So the question really is, is God powerful enough to create light without a sun. If, he, if, if he's powerful enough to create the sun and all the stars and all the galaxies, he, he can do whatever he wants, right? Exactly, yeah. We don't know exactly what it looked like. You know, we, it's hard for us to picture it, you know, without the sun and the moon, but he can do whatever he wants, Pastor. But what we do see is, it, beginning with this first day, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, and the description at the end, it says, an evening and morning was the first day, and then the same description is given each day. It leads us to to see, though, that each day had the same parameters, a 24-hour, you know, evening and morning period of time, and that the sun he created on day four would have been 
of the same intensity and did the ex- the same exact work that the light that he created on day one. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the light that he created on day one would have had the same intensity and effect of the earth, I believe. I believe that the laws of the earth that we're living under now were set in motion, you know, in, as we were talking about, mm-hmm. in, you know, in these verses, because with the sun we have, we have the the energy of light and then we have gravitational forces we had nuclear energy and so forth in these first few verses so the creation week god is establishing the present processes that we're living under yeah exactly the order yeah the ruler yeah that's right and so it is amazing another verse that i'd like to uh, share just before we'll go to the next point here is hebrews 11:3 it says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And that verse is significant to me because I remember going to the Hayden Planetarium Mm -hmm. a few years ago, and at at the end, Tom Hanks, very scholarly sounding authoritative voice you know that famous actor tom hanks was speaking and narrating that voice of reason and basically you know what he said he said the stars made us the stars up there that was the evolutionary answer to where the first life came from the stars made us but that's exactly what hebrews 11 3 says did not happen yeah the things that we see do not make things which do appear. God makes the things that have appeared. <laughs> and so I believe God made light before he made the sun Amen. to show that he created by the power of his word mm. and that the stars and, and they, they were not the things that were forming our creation. God is the one behind our creation. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So, first mentions, the first mention of God speaking, the first mention of light, and then the first mention of good. The first thing good we see in the Bible, God saw the light. So, what is a foundational purpose for light here, uh, Micah? And why do you think, what is the significance here of God saying it was good? Yeah, well, as God called the light out of the darkness and it flashed through that thick void of the heavens, he immediately saw that it was good. And this is the first of seven times in this chapter where God calls his creation good. And surely we would say the same thing about light today. When I was growing up, I had a family member who had something called seasonal affective disorder. So during the fall and winter months, when nights are longer and days are shorter, she would actually become depressed. And although about 5% of the people you know, in the world are affected by seasonal affective disorder or SAD. It's called SAD. Um, experts aren't exactly sure why the lack of daylight affects the chemicals in the brain. But the good news is that doctors can treat it. And the main treatment for SAD is with bright light therapy in the mornings to elevate, one, uh, to elevate one's mood throughout the day. So while physical darkness often produces fear confusion and even depression physical light gives us assurance clarity peace and joy in other words light is good physical light is good yeah it was like going down into my grandfather's basement alone it was like dark and spooky down there and and i had heard that before they bought the house somebody hung himself in the basement Mm. and and it was just really creepy to me yeah you know but how many of us have seen a sunrise 
Do you remember a sunrise in your life that you saw that yeah. was significant? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a memory. I remember when we were kids, we would, my dad would load us up in the car and we would drive down the Myrtle Beach. And we would, we, he would come home from work on Friday and drive all Friday night and we would get there early Saturday morning and then I remember we would just wait for the campsite to open and then we would go, and I remember one night, uh, one time driving down and then waking up and the sun was rising mm. and we were just waiting to go into the campsite and set up our tent and everything, have a week of vacation and, you know, it was, it's just a beautiful memory, you yeah. know. And a few years ago, the church sent us to Greece. And my lo- my wife loves the sunsets, mm. and and Santorini in Greece is yeah, like one of the most famous places in the world, where everybody goes to this particular spot of Santorini yeah. to watch the sunset every single night of the year. It's it's really it's amazing. It's beautiful. The sun, the light is good. Amen. I remember um, my sister was a nurse in um, in a mental clinic, and she was explaining to me about. Uh, the effects of sun, mm. the absence of sun or absence of light on the patients there. Some okay. of them was suffering from Alzheimer's. You pronounce it like that. Yeah, Alzheimer's. And she described element of the call sundowning mm. and mm-hmm. other you know mm-hmm. ailments yeah. that come when the sun leaves. Right. And I think it's about uh, Satan who works in the darkness himself. Yeah. The Bible says in Ephesians, uh, "Don't let the sun go down on, on your, your wrath. wrath." Yeah. But we are not ignorant of Satan devices and that's some of the things the darkness does brings depression and and uh fear people all yeah, the time play by guilt so that's what i was explaining to you earlier i said i love the sunrise yeah because it, it does something to me mm-hmm. energetically mm-hmm. and to my disposition mm-hmm. yeah so you know even if someone's discouraged just a practical thing they could do is get up early and and watch the beauty of a sunrise right yeah. i mean because the heavens declare the glory of god and they yeah. can worship god and and thank god for his power and and that god has the power to cr- to Bring about consistency in this world that we know when the sun is going to rise. You know, God is faithful. God is consistent. And and so even that shows his glory that he's faithful. We can count on God, you know, because we know when that sun is going to rise tomorrow because he's established it. And and we, we understand certain things about that. So, dear friend, go to the word. Trust in the Lord. Let God's word speak to your heart. Now, let's talk just as we close here tonight, Reggie. A lot of people think, you know, they have this idea of a day-age theory that each day represents millions or billions or however many years they want to uh, throw to it. But how do we know that each day was actually a 24-hour solar day or, you know, a, a, a day similar to our our day? How do we know that each of these six days of creation was a literal day such as we experience? Because uh, I... It couldn't have been 6,000 years because in Exodus it says that man labor six days and you rest okay. like God for six days. Yeah, he goes if back. If a day was 6,000, can you imagine me going to a job on a day and try to last <laughs> six? I wouldn't make it through a day. <laughs> so it couldn't have been 20, uh, beyond 24 hours. So. You know, and he says evening and morning. And then he says was the first day, the second day, the third day. And every time in Scripture where the word day is modified by a number in a series like that, it's always a literal meaning, dear friends. So we do believe that these six days of creation was literal, actual, 24-hour days as God sets in motion the laws that we live under. Well, dear friends, thank you, Micah. Thank you, Reggie. Let's walk in the light 
as he is in the light, because Jesus is the light of the world. Good night. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.